Okay, um, so we've been in this series of Ephesians. We've been unpacking some of the things that Paul, the writer of Ephesians, got to say to the people in the church of Ephesus. And today we're going to look at one of Paul's prayers. It's an absolute belter of a prayer. It's a phenomenal prayer. If there was such a website that existed like www.ratemyprayers.com, this would definitely be in the top 10. We shouldn't rate prayers, but it would be in the top 10. It has got absolutely everything in it. There's so much in this prayer. And the root and the heart of it is Paul is longing that the people there in Ephesus would grow together in the knowledge and the experience of God's love. Now, before we get into the passage, I need to, we need to have a little bit of context. We've got to understand what Paul has been saying before. So in the previous chapters, before we get to Ephesians 3, in the previous chapters, Paul has been writing about the gospel message of Jesus. He's been saying about the death and resurrection of Jesus, how it brings these people new life, forgiveness, peace, and also how they can be united. He spends a long time talking about being one in Christ. And he unpacks how the earlier barriers that existed between the Jews, so the historical people of God, and the Gentiles, basically everybody else, how they are no longer there, and that everybody can be a part of the same family. They can all be a part of God's family. And this, for the city of Ephesus, was a radical message, because Ephesus was a multicultural city, would have been plagued by racial and cultural divisions across the whole lot. So it's important we understand that before we get into what Paul has got to say about love. Let's read it together. So we're in Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. If you've got your Bible, you may want to turn, or it will be on the screen behind you. So let's have a see what Paul has got to say. This is his prayer. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I told you it was a belt of a repair. Everything in it. What a prayer. There's a few things just to point right from the start that will help us. We need to recognize Paul's passion and almost actually his desperation as he prays this prayer. This prayer is important to him. Given everything that he said before about unity, he wants the people of Ephesus to listen and take notice of this. And we can see that by the fact it says he kneels before the Father. He kneels before the Father. So at the time, the Jewish people didn't kneel to pray. Common practice was you stood to pray. 
So the very fact that he kneels, the Ephesians are going to sit up and take notice here. This is important. I'm getting something of Paul's desperation, something of his passion here. I've got to listen to this. It's the same for us today. We need to listen to this. Paul then tells the Ephesians that they are a family. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Whatever their background, whoever they are, Jew, Gentile, whatever, they have the identity of being a family through being in relationship with God the Father. He wants them to know that. Early doors, right at the beginning, you are a family. And there's some good wordplay here because the Greek word here for family is patria. And it actually comes from the Greek word for father, pater. So the two go together. The Ephesians would have known this, okay? And he's helping them. He's reminding them again and again, your identity is a part of the family of God, of God the Father. But it's even bigger than that. It's not an isolated family like some weird clique just in Ephesus. It's the whole family that crosses time, space, geography. We read, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So actually it's the people who believed in God in the past. It's the people who believe in God right now. It's the people who will believe in God in the future. They are all the family of God, because they have the same father. And this is really, really important context because the Ephesians need to be reminded again and again the barriers that used to exist between all these different people groups, they're not there. Though you might be in a city that's full of racial tensions and cultural tensions, the barriers are not there. How relevant is that for us right now? It doesn't change with racial and cultural tensions all around us. We're all a part of the same family. And so from this point, he turns and he wants them to grasp the message of love in the context of family. Well, let's just pause a minute and let me tell you a story about my family from this summer. So we went to the south of France uh, with my parents. So we're a family of six. If you don't know my family, I've got four kids. All six of us, my mom and my dad and my brother and his family. And we'd hired this big French sheet in the south of France, it took us forever to get there, but we got there looking forward to a two-week holiday, but we were a bit surprised to find a number of other beings trying to join us on our holiday. Let me go through these. We had uh, house mice. There you go. We, we got used to catching plenty of these. Sorry if that disturbed everyone. We had a lot of house mice. We also had field mice. Literally every mealtime, there were little mice running around our feet on the patio as we were trying to eat our food. And like everyone was screaming and getting, the kids were going crazy. Field mice all around. We also had uh, these things. They're kind of crickets. And they would appear at the evening. Okay, we'd be getting ready to go to bed. And suddenly from nowhere, they would just like cover the floor. They'd come out of the woodwork. And you're trying to avoid treading on, not treading on them rather. So you don't spill cricket guts everywhere. So we had crickets. We had rats. I didn't catch any rats. But by the size of the poo, I'm pretty sure we had rats. Um, but my favorite of all was the resident utility room toad. There we are. Every time you wanted to walk through to the dishwasher or the washing machine and all that, you passed the resident utility room toad. Well, of all these beings that tried to join our family, it was the toad the one that my mum couldn't deal with. Got to get rid of the toad. 
we can't have the toad. So the toad was duly, oh, go back one picture, go back one picture, sorry. We, we collected the toad in a bucket. We escorted him off the premises. We took him down the driveway. It was on a big hill, all the way down to the bottom of the hill, to the road at the bottom. We didn't leave him on the road. On a verge at the side of the road, and we went back to the house. No word of a lie, but two hours later, the toad had returned. He was sat outside the kitchen door with this expression. <laughs> and I came out and saw him there. It was like he was saying to me, how dare you remove me from the family? I am here. This is my home. This ugly, overweight toad. I don't know how he got up the hill. But there he was. Look at his eyes. Look at his evil eyes. I could not believe it. And so there we are. For the remainder of the two weeks, the toad joined our family. And he lived with us. We could not get rid of the toad. There's not really a link to that story other than I wanted to tell it. Um, <laughs> but the theme of family is important. The theme was really, really important, this theme of family. Paul wants the Ephesians to live out their newfound identity as a family. And he wants them to work out this message of God's love as a family. Okay? And there are four things that he goes on to pray in this prayer. He prays that they would be strengthened with power. He prays that they would be rooted and established in love. He prays that they would grow in the knowledge of Christ's love and that they would be filled to all the fullness. The prayer itself may not have come across in the way I read it, but it's like a crescendo. It's like you're walking up a mountain or up a set of stairs. It just gets bigger and bigger. But each one of the requests leads on to the other. There's a reason why Paul prays each one. Okay? And for the rest of this talk, I want us to look at each one in turn. We're going to look at how they lead on to each other. But most importantly, we're going to think, what does this mean for me in my relationship with God? And equally importantly, what does it mean for us as a family? What does it mean for us as we work out this message of God's love with one another and those around as well? So firstly, strengthened with power. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul talks about this inner being. Another word for your being is your soul, okay? And your soul is a place where you think, you feel, you have desires, you have emotions, okay? In fact, some people describe your soul as the seat of your will and your emotions. So Paul prays, that the Ephesians would be strengthened deep within. Why? Because he knows the soul is the place where wicked desires come, where temptations come, and where ultimately we resist Christ's presence in our life. So that's the first thing he prays. He wants them strengthened deep within. Now, the word Paul chooses to pray that Christ would dwell is really interesting. The word in the Greek for dwell here is katako, just coming up, katako, and it means to abide in, to make a permanent home. Now, there are other times in the scriptures where dwell is used, and a different version is used that doesn't mean that, a version that means just like a temporary home. Paul has deliberately chosen this word, abide in. It's only the permanent dwelling of Christ in our hearts that means we can grow in love. Christ has to first dwell 
within our hearts. He's chosen this word on purpose. Jesus says this as well, John 14. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home in them, with them. It's the same message, coming and dwelling permanently. So Paul wants the Ephesians to be one in love. So he prays first that they would be strengthened in their souls so that Christ would dwell in their hearts. They'd have the strength to choose Christ. Christ is never going to force his way into your hearts. He will never do that. He must be welcomed. That's why it says Christ dwell in their hearts through faith. The through faith bit is the choice. He must be welcomed in. That's where being strengthened deep in your soul comes. By being strengthened in your soul, you have power to choose Christ. And choosing Christ is not a one-time thing. Definitely not a one-time thing. Choosing Christ is a union. It's a daily surrender. It's a daily surrender to say, more of you, Jesus. More of you deep in my heart so that I will grow in love. It's exactly what Paul wants for the Ephesians. Paul writes in Corinthians, Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's the daily asking for Christ in our lives, that we are renewed and we grow in love. So when did you last ask for the Spirit of God to dwell deep in your innermost being? to strengthen you in your soul. When did you last ask for that? When did you last invite Christ to make a permanent home in your heart? Not a temporary, a permanent home. The first step, and that's why Paul prays this first, the first step to growing in the knowledge and experience of God's love is to invite Christ into our hearts. But that only happens when the Spirit strengthens us in our innermost being so that we choose Christ and not temptations and not wicked other desires. Are we following? Yeah, yeah? okay. Second thing Paul prays is that they would be rooted and established in love. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ. So for the Ephesians, remember the context. For them to get past the racial tensions and the cultural divisions, they needed to be rooted and established in love. That's the only way it was going to happen. And we've, we've already heard from Paul that that will come through Christ dwelling in their hearts. But he starts making it clear that it's more than that. That this has to be outworked in the context of community, in the context of family. See what he says. I pray that you may have power with all the Lord's holy people. So grasping the depths of God's love is something that can only be done in community, in the church. It happens here, in this family. The truth of God's love is not to be understood in isolation, but with all of God's holy people as a family. Now, we'll get back to a little bit of Greek language here. The Greek phrase, may have power, and the verb, grasp, you put them together and it translates earnest grasping. It's kind of suggesting that this isn't easy. 
earnest grasping. We've got to really work at it. And the writer Francis Fulkes says, it's not an easy task, simply because it's not an intellectual exercise. It's a matter of practical experience. It can only be worked out in community, in family, in the church. As we think about G2 growing, different sites, I think this is a challenge for us. What does it look like, us loving one another? Not like being a clique or an in-group or just G2 growing and going global or whatever, but a genuine love for each other. How's that worked out in G2, in this community? And how does it help us to grasp together the full extent of Christ's love? Jesus spoke about this again in John. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Some of you might have heard me speak about the fact that in the summer, I take hundreds of young people to a place called Teze. It's a monastic community in the south of France where it's the most welcoming and inclusive community I've ever seen. And literally, there are people from all over the world there. Young people from all over the world, gathering together, learning together, eating together, cleaning toilets together, everything. Full expression of love going on there. And one of the brothers in that community, he writes about this genuine love that was seen in the early church. And he identifies that the life they shared in common, so they broke bread together, they listened to the teaching of the word, they prayed together, they shared their possessions, they gave to anyone who was in need, Brother John says this was a key part of what attracted people to the Christian faith. This explained the early success. That they saw that being rooted and established together in love. So it's got to start here. We looked at mission and as vital and important as that is, it's a waste of time if we don't love one another here in this community, within this family. Paul wanted the Ephesians to be rooted and established in love through experiencing it in community. John Stott, famous theologian, writes just about this. He says, The isolated Christian can indeed know something of the love of Jesus, but his grasp of it is bound to be limited by his limited experience. It needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. All the saints together, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, young, old, black and white, with all their varied backgrounds and experiences. Being rooted and established in love has to be worked out in community. It's the only way it can happen. Third thing Paul's praise is that they would grow in the knowledge of Christ's love in all of its dimensions. How high, how wide, how deep, how long is the love of God, he prays. So the Ephesians are there trying to work out what it means to be one. And Paul prays that they would get the full extent of it. But there's a bit of a conflict in his sentence. Let's just read it together again. It says, I pray that you would grasp how wide, high, long, and deep is the love of Christ. And that you know this love that surpasses knowledge. For me, there's a bit of a conflict there. So Paul is saying, I want you to grasp this. I want you to work out this love. But then he's almost saying at the same time, but you won't achieve it. It's not attainable. It surpasses knowledge. You can't quite get there. 
So I'm sat reading that going, well, what's the point? Why would I bother earnestly grasping this love if I can't get there? So again, some context is really important here. So remember, the church is in a Greek land, okay? Ephesus church, Greek land, will have been surrounded by philosophers, surrounded by religious leaders, world leaders of all lots of different other faiths at the same time. I think what Paul's getting at here is a danger of the faith being just something in the mind, being an academic or an intellectual faith. There's a chap called Scott that writes, Paul is showing here that true knowledge of God is unattainable without love. If there's no love, the spirit of Christ is not present and there can be no understanding. So yes, Christ's love is way beyond what we could ever completely understand, ever imagine. But there's a reason for that. Because it, is, it exists to find its expression through experience. It's not something academic. It's not something intellectual. It has to be revealed through sorrows, through joys, through trials, through sufferings, in ways that are too deep for the human mind, too deep for language, ways to experience it in that way. It has to be experienced in community. I remember a time a while ago where a friend came round to see Susie and I and asked for some prayer. They wanted to share some trials, some sufferings, some things that were going on in their life. And as we listened and we shared and we prayed, there was this moment where my heart was flooded and I became completely overwhelmed with something of God's love and compassion for the people that we were praying for. It wasn't something that was articulated, but it, it came through deeply in my emotions as the Spirit of God stirred really deep within my heart. In that moment, the three of us that were praying, I think we were grasping together something of the full extent of God's love. Something that went beyond reasoning, that went beyond words, that went beyond understanding, but was shouting at us loud and clear through the experience of God's presence. So I wonder if you've ever can identify an experience like that in your life, where the Spirit of God has moved you deeply, that you've started to grapple something of more of God's love? Or is the love of Christ just academic for you? Just something that goes on up here? If it's something that just goes on up here, an intellectual, I, I desperately want to encourage you, like Paul, I want to urge you to grasp with us here, G2 as a community, grasp more. There's, there's more for you. The love of Christ is available for you. And if that's you, please come and talk to me at the end. I'd love to discuss that with you. So let's just recap where we've gone so far in these prayers. So we've learned that we've got to be strengthened with power in our souls, first of all, so that Christ would dwell within us. As that happens and Christ dwells more within us, then we become rooted and established in love for one another. And then as we seek to grasp this love together, to work out the full extent of it, we know that it's not an intellectual thing, but it's something to be experienced as a family, as a community in the church. This leads to Paul's final prayer, and it's like the boldest of all. He says, I pray that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Hang on a minute. All the fullness of God. 
That's bonkers. All the fullness of God. The goal is the full indwelling of God in our lives and in the church. That's what Paul wants. Nothing else will do. It's the wholeness that God would make his entire self alive within us and in the church. But for me, Paul's getting to this point now makes sense based on the journey of the prayer. You see, as we're strengthened with power in our souls and Christ dwells more within us, it leads us to love one another more, to grasp the extent of Christ's love. As those things are happening, we are being filled with the fullness of God. We are being filled with the fullness of God. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. We get the most exciting bit for me of all. The cry of praise. It's called a doxology where Paul just prays out everything that summarizes and wraps up all that he wants for the Ephesians. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. If we've gone on Paul's journey his prayer journey, if we've gone on that, I think our faith is going to be somewhere up here. It will be sky high. So then the idea of God doing immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine starts becoming a reality. That's why Paul's prayed that. They've gone through those steps. They've seen those things. It starts to become a reality. And not because the Ephesians just get on a bit better or they've got a bit more knowledge of God's love, but because of Christ's power within them. And that was the first thing Paul prayed. When we go back, he prayed first of all that Christ's power would dwell within them. That's how they get to that place of seeing the immeasurably more. And again, it's in community that this is meant to happen. That's why he prays glory to him in the church. It's the same theme again and again. It begins with us asking for the Spirit to strengthen us in our souls, inviting Christ to dwell in our hearts. But from there, grasping, experiencing the love of Christ, attaining the full measure of God is all to be outworked here, all to be outworked in the church. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So I'm looking at that going, no wonder thousands were added to the early church every day. Because firstly, they heard, yes, the transformational message of Jesus, but they witnessed the love of Christ outworked in that church. They witnessed the fullness of God in signs and wonders and miracles, and they saw the immeasurably more, the phenomenal things beyond what they could imagine. Now, that excites me because that's a church that I want to be a part of. That's a church that I think G2 we are becoming. And we have to work that out more together. But that's the church I want to be a part of. We could strategize and think about all day long how we could be more welcoming, how we could be more inclusive and more loving, but that's not where it starts. Paul says it begins by being strengthened in your inner being so that you would choose Christ, that he would permanently dwell within your heart. Only then will we be able to be one in love grasping, experiencing, and displaying the love of God with one another and with the world around us. Ways we can't even begin to imagine. 
That's what I believe and want for G2. So let this be our prayer. Let our prayer be that the Spirit of God would strengthen us deep within our souls so that we would choose Christ every day. That then we would experience together this unattainable love. And that it would shine out for us, from us, for all the world to see. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.